I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and open to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. I don't think it's a coincidence that on the back of our bulletin today, our missionaries of the week are Eric and Kelly Schindler from Taiwan. They'll be with us this spring for our missions conference. But if you've watched the news over the weekend, you know that on Friday there were several major earthquakes there in Taiwan. And uh, I saw Kelly's post on Facebook that they're safe, and, uh, but we need to pray for that area and uh, for uh, Eric and Kelly and just for their safety there. Also, we want to pray for um, Dr. Sheard and Sue. Uh, they're excited this Friday. They'll be heading off to Burundi to spend a week with Lauren. And uh, we're excited about them having that opportunity to go and to see her work there in Burundi. So uh, before we uh, open the word this morning, I just wanted us to take a, a minute and pray for them and for safety and also for the Schindlers this morning. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Savior, Father, we just want to stop and say how awesome it is this morning to be able to come and to worship you. Lord, as we sung that song this morning, I thought, how amazing is heaven going to be when we stand before your throne? No longer struggling with sin. Lord, no longer having problems. Lord, we will be perfect. We will be totally sanctified and glorified. What an awesome time that will be. And Father, this morning, we want to especially thank you for keeping the Schindler safe during those earthquakes on Friday and pray your continued safety and your hand of protection around them and as they plant this new work, Lord, that you would continue to provide for them financially, that you would provide for them spiritually and emotionally and physically, Father. Lord, we want to pray for Dr. Sheard and Sue as they will head off this Friday to Burundi and we want to pray for safety for them and how exciting for them to be able to go and to see where their daughter is ministering for you and Lord I pray that the fellowship would be sweet and just a great time and for them Lord and again bring them back to us safely. So Lord bless them as they go this week. Father thank you for Many this week who've worked sacrificially uh, to get uh, our teachers back into their classroom downstairs this weekend. And Lord, I am so thankful for a church who rallies around and, and ministers in such a great way. And so, Lord, I, I pray uh, for Marge and Melissa as they're back in their classroom tomorrow that it might be just a very special day for them to get back. Lord, as we open your word today, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit that indwells us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I apologize to those who have babies that we don't have our nursery open again today. I know that's for some of you who have little ones. That's been hard. But uh, we need one more week um, to get this really where it needs to be. And uh, so next week we'll be back into our nursery but uh, we have carpet to put in, and we put a, a brand new wall on top of another wall this week. Just a lot of work, and this is all for baby Whitmer. <laughs> We're trying to get our nursery first class, and uh, that's been the joke in the office this week. And uh, somebody said they heard Pastor John upstairs with a drill drilling little holes. 
so that we could redo the nursery, but that's not true, okay? Well, we, we've given him a hard time this week as we've been working together, and uh, we appreciate Nikki and all her crew who has come in and been working hard, and uh, appreciate Jeff Martin this week who put tile down for us downstairs, so a lot of people have been working hard this week. Well, today we're in Romans chapter 14, and we're actually going to try to go through this chapter in these next uh, 35 to 40 minutes. We'll probably go a few minutes over today, and uh, I want to share with you my, one, of, one of them. I have a lot of parent fails, but one of my greatest that my kids make fun of me all the time was uh, in the year 2000, a movie came out, and we didn't go to movies real often. Sometimes we went to Disney movies, but we certainly never went to an R-rated movie, and uh, one particular Saturday night, I found out that my three children, along with some other children from our church, were at a movie theater just uh, like almost a stone's throw from my house, and they were there seeing an R-rated movie called The Gladiator, Russell Crowe, okay? And uh, I, I caught wind of it somehow, and I drove down to the movie theater. I, I literally threw the doors open in the middle of the movie with a flashlight. I went down the aisle looking for my kids. I got halfway down, and I found them sitting there, and I said out loud, Joshua, Julia, Rachel, let's go. You don't belong in an R-rated movie. And I made them walk out. They come to my house, and they go to my DVDs and see now that I have that movie, (laughs) and often laugh. Of course, it's rated R because of the violence of a gladiator. That's the reason. But they make fun of me. Now, some of you say, well, you were right to do that, but maybe not in that way. And why? Because it was all about outward appearances. And this chapter is a tough chapter to preach today because some of you will leave happy with me, some of you will leave mad with me. But when we think of of this, this chapter today really deals with these areas. And I I think there's three areas in the Bible I want to say right from the beginning. There's things that are clearly commanded in Scripture. Things that are clearly commanded, there are things that are clearly forbidden, and then there are those things that are permitted or left to free and responsible judgment according to the best of our knowledge and our own conscience. So three areas. First, those things that are clearly commanded, things that are clearly commanded. There's no debate about such things as, you know, Things as murder, adultery, sexual immorality, greed, outburst of anger, slander, drunkenness, sowing strife, uh, showing partiality, jealous, bitterness, um, envy, arrogance, unforgiveness. There's no doubt in Scripture whatsoever those things are sinful. And, And I didn't even give you probably a complete list at all of all the things that Scripture commands us not to do or forbids us to do. But then there are a whole lot of areas that are not marked in Scripture. Those what we might call the freedom areas. The other night in my small group, as we finished up our Bible study from last Sunday morning, I asked my small group, give me some of the things in your growing up years, maybe that weren't in a sense said, thou shall not do in the Bible, but they were standards or convictions that your parents maybe put on or your church put on. And and here is just 
uh, some of theirs and some others. Of course, attending movies, watching television, working for pay on Sunday, mowing the lawn on Sunday, fishing on Sunday, drinking wine in moderation, cooking with wine, attending the theater for live drama, participating in sports on Sunday, participating in contact sports, eating food in the church building, letting your children go trick-or-treating, purchasing cable television, putting your children in public school, mixed swimming, playing pool, playing cards, gambling for recreation, buying insurance, smoking, dancing. Uh, This is an old one. Wearing pants, suits to church. That's for those ladies from the 60s. And, uh, or, you know, suits and ties, uh, using a Bible translation other than the King James Version, which, of course, was good enough for Paul. It's good enough for us. That's what I've heard. Um, playing guitars in church. That's those people up here. Men wearing their hair over their ears. I never had that problem. Women wearing makeup. Being on Facebook, hymns versus praise. Let me give you the Lancaster County version. Here it is. Members shall not indulge in world methods of pleasure, seeking amusement and entertainment, patronizing or taking part in fairs, parades, circuses, moving picture shows, theaters, dramas, public bathing uh, resorts, organized contesting ball teams, dancing, card parties, race, uh, races, various forms of gambling, scavenger hunts, mystery suppers, hay rides, and such like. Inasmuch as our automobiles as well as our possessions are gifts from God, they should be keeping with biblical modesty and separation, and use of them should always glorify God. The more expensive cars, cars with contrasting colors, sports cars, as well as sports features on regular cars, and all stripe tires shall be avoided. The appearance and use of all our vehicles shall be consistent with uh, um, these principles and regulation. Because of these effectiveness of the radio to propagate evil and increased end-time deception, thereby destroying true spirituality in the home and church, its use is not permitted. Because of the evils of television, those who are responsible for the sale or use of um, same forfeit their membership. Video cassette recorders, this is a little older, Entertainment systems shall not be used. We likewise sense the danger of news media, such as daily papers, magazines, in the home. That's from a church not far from here. And some of us would say, wow, amen. And then some of us would say, oh my. Right? And so it just depends where you might fall. Um, And this is exactly what Romans chapter 14 is dealing about because there was some contention in the church that Paul needed to deal with. And so that's why we find Romans chapter 14 because there was contention about what we might call these areas, these gray areas, these areas of freedom. Look, if you would, at verse 1. He says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So he said, accept him, because what was happening is the sometimes the, the stronger brother was not accepting the weaker brother in the church and was pushing him out and causing him to, to stray. And so he's saying, listen, do not push away the weak brother. So the very first thing this morning is we need to decide 
what is the weaker and what is the stronger brother? Because this week we'll talk about it again next week. Pastor John will spend time talking about this also. So let me give you a definition that the two of us sort of agreed on that we would go from. And uh, the weaker brother is one who tries to keep God's favor by keeping a certain list of rules. Tries to keep God's favor by keeping a certain list of rules. Other words, if I do these things, I will be in God's favor. If I do these things, God might even love me more. Or if I don't do these things, God might love me more. The stronger brother is they know that they're saved by grace and kept by grace, and therefore they understand there are certain areas which they can exercise freedom. There are certain areas they know they can exercise freedom. So he's saying here, listen, we, there's this contention that's going on. And you know, I'm sure this morning we could have contention among ourselves. There would be some of you in here who would never go to a movie theater. There would be others who don't think it's wrong. There would be some of you who from that list say, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of those things. And then some of you would say, no, I don't. And so I'm sure we could cause contention amongst ourselves. But what are the principles that Paul lays down to help us to deal with these things? That's what we want to look at. And so first of all, he gives us a concrete example from his time to look at. He gives, them, gives us two of them. So let me read to you verses 2 through 5. He says, One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. That's number one. Number two is in verse five. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So Paul gives you two examples from him in his time that were struggles amongst the brethren in the church. And the first is that of food. The new covenant in Christ, once Christ came and died on the cross for our sin, was buried and rose again the third day, there were no dietary laws like we find in the New Testament. But it wasn't that people didn't struggle with that. We even find in the book of Acts, we find Peter struggling with that, struggling with whether to be able to eat meat or not to eat or certain things that he shouldn't eat. And we know that in Acts chapter 10, he has a vision where God shows him that all animals can be eaten. Even meat that was offered to idols was okay. And that was a big thing. The Gentiles didn't have a problem with eating meat offered to idols. The Jews thought that was horrible and you should never do that. And so there was this contention between the Jews and the Gentiles who were in the church together. And this contention was great. And so the first example he gives is food. But in the midst of that example, let me point out two things that are important for us to realize. And we see, first of all, he says in verse 4, look at verse 4 there. He says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? 
God has accepted him already. He said, listen, God has accepted him at the end of verse 3. And so the first thing is, listen, no matter what your standard is, the person sitting next to you who might have a different standard, God has already accepted him. He is a child of God. And then the second thing, he says, Christ is the master of the one you are judging. So if you're judging someone because they don't have the same standards that you are, listen, remember, you're not their judge. God is their judge. Not you. God is their judge. And so this morning, maybe someone holds a different conviction than you will do about something. Listen, God is their judge. You are not their judge. And so often, we in Christianity are great at judging one another, aren't we? And and he's saying, listen, remember, in these things, God is our judge. Then he gives that second illustration, and that is of special days, Sabbath days. In the Jewish calendar, you know, there was more than just the Sabbath day. Sabbath day meant holy or set apart. There were hundreds, literally hundreds of Sabbath days on the Jewish calendar. I was reading in a book this week, Sacred Marriage, and it was talking about the Jewish special holidays. And it said that, listen, on Jewish Sabbath days, a man and a woman could, only, could not have relationships. And so actually in the Jewish calendar, there were only 83 days in which a man and a wife could actually have physical relationships because of the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath. So that's how even crazy it got. And so what he's saying, listen, every day of your life is just like the other. Paul tells us in Colossians, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or to drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He tells us that in Colossians 2.16. He said, these things were mere shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he says, don't let any man judge you on what you eat or what you drink or if you keep Sabbath or you don't. Growing up, my parents were Nazarene, and they owned a, a grocery store there in Oxford, Pennsylvania. And uh, they closed the grocery store every Sunday. It was not open. And my grandmother did all of her prep on Saturday for Sunday. And so when we came home, you know, the meal was ready. Why? Because it was a sin to do work on what? On the Sabbath day, which they considered Sunday. And so, you know, again, we can come all kinds of, of things there. But I, I listen, every day of our life ought to be holy. Just like every, all of our money is holy unto God. It's just not the 10% that we give to him. All of it belongs to him. Every day belongs to God. And uh, so Paul gives these two examples here in Scripture, and now he's going to set down some divine principles of which to obey. So we read down to verse 6. Let me read to verse 12, starting with verse 7. For none of us live to himself alone, and none of us die to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
in those verses, he lays down several principles. I want to give those to you. First of all, he says, don't go against your conscience. Don't go against your conscience in verse 5. If you are convinced in your mind, don't go against that. Listen, if God has given you this conviction and this conviction and it's strong in your heart, then don't go against it. Live by it because that's what God has convinced you in your mind. Realize, though, because your brother over here might have a different conviction, that doesn't make you any more spiritual or him any less spiritual. It doesn't make you any closer to God than it makes him who might see things a little bit different than you do. And that's important for us to realize. You know, listen, again, we can't earn God's love. Because we do these things or we don't do these things doesn't make God love us anymore. He loves us because of, of who, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. And then the second principle is this. Do all to God's glory. Do all to God's glory. And, and he talks about that, whether you live, whether you die. It's all about God's glory. Um, D.L. Moody had a mentor, and his name was Spurgeon. Spurgeon lived in London. D.L. Moody lived in Chicago. And uh, Moody really wanted to go see Spurgeon. So he got on a boat, and he took this trip across the ocean, and he got to London, and he knocked on Dr. Spurgeon's door. And Dr. Spurgeon opened the door with a cigar in his mouth. Because Spurgeon said, and it's written in many places, I smoke one cigar a day to the glory of God. He said it's written. I smoke one cigar a day to the glory of God. Well, when he opened the door with that stogie in his mouth, Moody was so overtaken that he fell back down the steps. He said this. He said, how could you, a man of God, smoke that? Spurgeon took the stogie out of his mouth and he walked down the steps, took his finger and pointed it in the rotund stomach of Mr. Moody and said this, the same way you, man of God, could be that fat. Ooh, that's tough, isn't it? So some of you would say, man, I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe Spurgeon, what's called sometimes the prince of preachers, said he smoked one cigar, and that was it, one cigar a day to the glory of God. How could he do that? He did it. You know, see, the thing here is we need to realize this principle is so important that everything we do, we must do to the glory of God. Now, I don't think we can send the glory of God. And maybe you're sitting there and saying, smoking a cigar is sin. We'll have to debate that one. But Moody said he did it. But you know, there's certainly, we can't send to the glory of God. We can't say, you know, I'm going to commit adultery to the glory of God. You can't do that. Those things which the Bible said are wrong, we can't do to the glory of God. And so we need to be careful about using that, and we'll talk at the end. 
Listen, neither the strong or weak person lives to themselves. That's the whole thing about the Christian life. We don't live for ourselves. We ought to live to bring glory to God. And everything we do, we need to ask ourselves first, is this going to bring glory to God? Is it going to bring glory to Him? And then the, the other thing that he says here is in verses 9 through 12, we will stand before God. And he said, remember this. Listen, we're all going to stand before God. Now, we're not going to, let me remind you this morning, we're not going to stand before God and give an account for our sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, we looked at it, there is therefore now what? No what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not going to be condemned. Jesus Christ on the cross took your sin upon him. Your sin has been dealt with once and for all. But when we stand before Christ, it's called the Bema Seat. It's not the great white throne judgment. It is the Bema Seat. A Bema, a seat. That was the seat that was the end of a stadium. And when the runners would finish running the race, they would come there, and that's where the judge would sit who would judge how they ran the race. And we as Christians are going to be judged how we ran the race how he ran the Christian life, and our, our motives of why we do what we do are going to be judged. And let me tell you, I think we're all going to be surprised at that time because I even look at my own life, and sometimes even in my doing what is right, my motives are horrible. Even in doing what's right, sometimes my motives are wrong. Now, you don't know that, but I know that. And those are the things that are going to be brought to light, our motives, how we run this Christian life. And so he's reminding us, listen, we are going to stand before God someday, and we're going to give an account for how we live this Christian life. Not for our sin, it's been dealt with, but how are you doing and living out this life of running the race? That's what he's saying here. Each of us have to stand before God and give an account. So you don't need to judge me. I don't need to judge you. Listen, we're going to stand before God, and we're going to be judged by our maker for how we run this race. And then he gives some practical exhortation, if you would, from verses 13 to the end of the chapter. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle to your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it's unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken as evil. In other words, don't let your freedom um, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by man. Let us therefore make every effort to do what um, leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who doubts is condemned if he eats 
because he's eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So he gives us here some practical exhortations. First of all, he says this, don't cause your brother to stumble. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, take care lest the liberty, your liberty, has, that's, it becomes a stumbling block to someone else. He, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, be careful lest your liberty, you using your liberty, causes someone else to stumble. And listen, a stumbling block. When we read this word stumbling block, you know, this is, means to trip over. It causes another brother or sister in Christ to trip. You know, it, it would be like this. Now, I, I don't believe. My personal conviction is that I don't drink. I never will drink. I told you the story. The only time I ever did have a drink was my babysitter gave me a taste of, of, uh, of beer, and my mother took care of that real quick. We never went back there. But other than that, I've never drank in my life. I don't plan to drink. And here's the reality of it. I, I, I think drinking leads to so many other vile sins. But... I am part of a Jewish mission board, and so I've attended Seder quite often. And I remember the first Seder that I went to, uh, the, the director of our board called me about three days before the Seder, and it was a lot of other Jewish people who were going to be there. And he said, Dick, I just want you to know that we will be serving wine at the Seder. That's a pretty normal thing in Jewish custom to serve wine at Seder. And he said, I want to make you aware of that because he said, I didn't want you to do anything that would cause you, I didn't want to do anything that would cause you to stumble. And he said, so, you know, I have all these Jewish unsaved people who are going to be there. And uh, he said, because of that, you know, they were going to serve wine. He said, um, so I don't want to make a big deal of it. So I just want to make you aware of it because I don't want to cause you to stumble because I have heard what you've preached from the pulpit. I appreciated that. He, he was concerned that me going there, first of all, that I might feel everybody else is drinking, so I need to take a drink of that. But he, he was what? Ron, Ron Grossman's his name. Ron was concerned about causing me to stumble because of a conviction that I have. And, and that's where we need to be sensitive. You know, no matter what the activity is, listen, we need to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he goes on, number two, in verses 14 and 15, he says, Don't grieve your brother over the issue of food or any other issue. Don't cause them hurt. The weaker brother can get hurt. The weaker Christian can be hurt by the stronger brother's use of their liberty. Or that, that stronger brother could say, hey, listen, you got freedom in Christ. You can do that. But maybe that, that weaker brother, he doesn't see it that way. And so if that, that stronger person who it's talking about is, oh, go ahead and do it. It's okay. Then we are hurting them. Verse 15, it says, don't distress your brother. Not only don't hurt them, but don't distress them. Don't, the word there is spiritually devastate. Stopping his spiritual growth, he gets discouraged. He gets discouraged, and so he just stops what he's doing. And then don't forfeit your witness in verse 16 through 19. Don't forfeit your witness. It's possible to abuse our freedom in Christ 
that it hurts our brother and causes even friction amongst the brother. And Christians fighting among themselves cause the world to question our faith. Especially when we're fighting over these things that the Bible isn't clear on. And sometimes we spend a lot of time fighting about those things. And then E, in verses 20 and 21, he says, Don't tear down the work of God. Don't stop the work of God and a brother's life because you use your liberty in a wrong way. So you see here, it's always about the other person. It's always about the other person. You know, don't flaunt or, or doubt your liberty is the last thing he says. He says to the strong, don't go around saying, wow, look what I can do. And to the weak, he says, don't give in or go against your conscience. That's the last thing he says. For, the, for the, those who have liberty, he said, don't flaunt it. And for those who might be weaker, he said, don't go against your conscience. Now, now, let me give you just an illustration of this this morning, and it's sort of a dumb illustration, and I have no idea what Dr. Shear, but I'm going to pick on him for a minute. I have no idea about his conviction about playing cards. You know, maybe he's a great poker player. I really don't know, okay? But we're, we're just going to say today that I have found out that he believes that the deck of cards represent the devil, and there are people who realize that. And, and there's different, you know, I want to go into all the things. We're just to say the deck of cards represents the devil. And uh, so I have him to our house for dinner. And I know that. I know what he feels about cards. But I don't have any problem with playing cards. I think cards are a lot of fun. And I might want to make a few bucks from him. And so, you know, <laughs> after dinner, we've had a nice time. And I pull out the deck of cards and say, hey, listen, let's play a little gin rummy together here. What would I be doing? I would be offending him, right? I would be offending him. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible that the Bible says, thou shall not play cards, is there? Okay? Can't find it. So we'll call it a, a gray area. And, and I choose to have freedom. He, and in this, he would be called the weaker brother. And some of us say, wow, that's a, that's a slander against him. No, it's not. It's what Scripture says. So... But I would be wrong as the stronger brother to invite him to my house to play cards because I would be, I would be making him go against his conscience. Now, hopefully, and I think he would because I know him well enough, when, when I pull the deck of cards out, what are you going to tell me? Keep your money in your wallet. That's right, because I'll take it. No, keep your money in your wallet because Why? Makes him stumble. I, I would offend him if we played cards. And I know him well enough that he's going to tell me that. Okay? And so, see, that, you know, and that's just a little illustration of how this principle works. So I, I need to be sensitive. I, I need to be sensitive. And, and, you know, there is an occasion, you know, that maybe Virginia and I will go to a movie together. And some of you say, oh, that's wrong. You know, but I don't use a whole lot of movie illustrations because I know that offends some people. And, and, and so the reality is we need to be careful. See, I'm not living this Christian life for myself. I'm living this Christian life to bring glory to God, and I'm living my Christian life for you. And so I want to be an encouragement. I don't want to be a stumbling block. And so 
in our small group the other night, and, and I appreciate Brother Bruce, he said, you know, when you preach a message like this, Dick, he said, you know, it, it'd be easy for some people to walk out of here today and say, wow, Pastor Vaughn said, we got freedom. Let's just go drink and let's play cards and let's go to every type of movie there is. Let's go to the dances. Let's do this and do that. Man, we've got all kinds of freedom. And Pastor Vaughn said it because I can't find a verse in the Bible that says thou shall not. So let's go do it. And Bruce pointed that out, especially when you're dealing with young people, right? So I'm going to end this message this morning without giving you that second handout that's in the bulletin. I want you to pull it out. Principles for using your freedom. I'm going to give you homework. Principles for using your freedom. We have freedom. We do. We have freedom. But here are some principles that are, that are important. First of all, right in the text that we just looked like, does it glorify God? Is this loving others? Is this eliminating excess? You know, will this hinder me living an effective Christian life? There's some great questions here. Uh, that, will this help me to attain excellence? And this activity, is this activity useful towards my Christian growth? It may be wrong, but, but is it really useful? It may not be wrong, but is it really useful? Is it really profitable? Avoiding improper relationships. Am I entering into a relationship that could cause me to commit myself to believe or practice something that is unscriptural? Keeping a clear conscience. Is what I'm doing bothering my conscience? And that, that's, this chapter talks a lot about that. I ought to never do anything that goes against my conscience. Aim, uh, aiming at Christ-likeness. Question, is this consistent with all that I know Christ to be? Maintaining purity. Will this activity become a source of sin? Am I allowing myself to be open to temptation? Prioritizing the gospel. Will this activity hinder or help my effectiveness as a witness for Christ? And then I think this is important in our small group, and, and I, I appreciate the other night, Brother Phil and, and uh, Bruce, because this last one's important, is what I'm doing in conflict with, with the membership or service covenant of my church? Am I respecting the leadership and seeking guidance from them? You know, if you're an employee here at Mount Calvary Christian School, there are certain things in our policy that says you can't do. And so for you to go against those things, and, and those guys talked about that in the Christian schools they've worked in, that they respected the contract that they signed, and they respected enough those in leadership that they didn't go outside of that. Even though they might not agreed with it, what? They said, listen, this is what our leadership says, so this is what we're going to do. So that last one is important. So what I'd like you to do is... I'd like you to take and look at your freedom that you say you have this week and the freedom that you enjoy, and I'd like you to go down and ask yourself these questions. Because our freedom that we have needs to be looked at through these questions. You know, I said the last thing in the conclusion, the gift of freedom is sometimes burdensome, but when we consider the alternative, it's a blessing. And Paul says that plainly, um, plainly in Colossians 5, Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, we're called to freedom. We've, we've been called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another, what? 
humbly. It's not about you. It's about bringing glory to God, and it's about serving those around you humbly. It's about using the freedom that you have in a right and biblical way. So this morning, listen, each of us have our own list, I'm sure. And some of you agreed with some of the things I've said and some of you haven't, but we can't judge each other. We're all going to stand before God and be judged for those things someday. And the other thing is we need to make sure that we use the freedom that we have not to cause our brother and sisters to stumble, not to cause someone else to be devastated, not to make someone else even stop living for Christ. So we need to use those freedoms that we have in a biblical way, in the biblical guidelines that we find in Romans chapter 14. Let's pray. Father, this is a lot to think about, and we'll continue dwelling on it again next week as Pastor John picks up in Romans 15, looks at those first six verses that, Lord, talks about the stronger and the weaker brother again. And, Lord, this is, this is important. There are churches that have divided over these things that we've talked about today. Lord, help us not to be like that. Help us to live in the freedom that you've given us. But help us to realize, Lord, yet there are some guidelines that you have given us even to enjoy those freedoms with. And Lord, sometimes... Lord, rather than using those freedoms, what's best for us is not to use those. Lord, sometimes it's best for us to turn the television off. Sometimes it's best for us to turn the computer off. Sometimes it's best for us not to go those places on our phones. Sometimes it's best not to to play those games on our phones or on the computer because, Lord, it's taking time that we need to use, Lord, for reading your word maybe for spending with our family. So we might have the freedom, Lord, but help us to realize there are principles that you set down that we need to sometimes limit our freedom with. It's in your name we pray. Amen.